Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. We just wanted a simple episode, Bob. Just one. Roughly an hour to an hour and a half episode. Instead, you start a sprawling epic about advertising and marketing in the beer world. Well, let's let's get to the history. Well, wah! everyone, it's Milla time. Let's see how advertising got to that point and beyond. Oh my goodness, you could grab a Guinness and have a drink. We aren't being sponsored by any of these people. <laughs> Hold my stone. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. Have a drink. Always a good decision. <laughs> That's Christopher Walker. Yes. Uh, so how's everybody doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. So it's it's fridge cleaning week. So we're <laughs> we're getting some beers out of the fridge that have been hanging in there for a bit too long. Yeah. I, uh, I've been doing a bit of that myself lately. Just looked down. I was like, I have too much liver. I'm sorry. I know we've been going easy for a couple of weeks, but, uh, <laughs> buckle up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's September. We were talking pre-show. Uh, so I'm on a subscription service now to Braxton because they're, they're, uh, because 2020. their smoothie Berliner vices would sell out so quickly that it's, it's like you have to be on there five minutes before they would sell them online and it's not even guaranteed you could get it. Like if you're on there the minute it goes on sale, because for whatever reason, the service they use would sometimes only work on an iOS device. And they got sick of it. And they're like, look, we're doing a subscription service. You can, and we're not going to do it in crowlers anymore. You can get two 16 ounce cans for 10 bucks a week. And I was like, F it. That's fine. I can drink a can a week, maybe two. And then I've got the other ones to trade or share with people fine until we're now like a month and a half into this and they're starting to pile up on me because i've still not been back to my regular level of drinking there's a few in the those aren't what i'm cleaning out of the fridge i'm making room in the fridge for those i've got like so much urban artifact in there just like piled up because uh those need to be those those got kind of a shelf life on them they yeah there's a there's a fresh date there's a best buy date that you need to hit with those and i'm like just hitting it on some some of them are way past it and i'm like tastes like generic fruit and sour okay and then now i'm getting to the ones that are still kind of fresh and it's like okay now that i can taste the fruits and the notes they intended yeah oh well other than uh subscription beer services uh Anything else good in the land of Walker? Um, just kind of just, just living, 
just <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Exa- oh, I watched um, this past week. I watched all of the Umbrella Academy. I have not watched. I didn't finish season one. I haven't started season two. I do. So my first attempt, I got less than a minute into it, and I was just like, "This isn't for me," and like ducked out. It's it's visually, it's like Wes Anderson decided to do a superhero thing. Very, but thematically, it's a little bit different. Thematically, it's the Dark Phoenix saga replayed over and over again. The problem is I got to where they started doing a time travel episode and partway through it, I went there. Oh, everyone's made a lot of positive progress. Uh, This is not going to last. They're going to reset this by the end of this episode, aren't they? So, okay. I do have to like me going, oh, it's basically the Dark Phoenix saga played over and over again. That's a bit of a spoiler. My bad. But it's also, I mean, that, I mean, they feel like the X-Men grown up. It's like, the X-Men with prolonged excessive daddy issues. So the whole come thing... Come on, be- you telling me that, that there's not prolonged excessive daddy issues around <laughs> Professor Xavier? Okay, there's a few. But still, Professor Xavier is a jerk. <laughs> Umbrella Academy, like that, so every I have a problem with all of them. Yeah. I had to stop watching season two and season one at points. Like, I would just have to be like, I'm done for today, because I can't handle the characters anymore. They're just so... It, it gets to a point where you're like, the real superpower of all of this would be if one functioning, <laughs> mentally stable adult walked into the situation, they could save the world. Forget all other superpowers. One like emotionally functional human being could save the world. Well, Whereas I mean, th- all these... I get it. You're like, yeah, I get it. They have daddy issues because of the screwed up way they were raised, blah, blah, blah. But you're just like, no, if anyone of like there's several points where any of them could stop and go, well, I'm going to be bigger than anyone else in this situation. I'm going to take responsibility and we're going to, but no, they're always like extremely selfish and all this crap. And yeah, I get it. That's the point. That's the story. Yeah. But you're just like, literally the world is on the line and they go, they just decide to be a selfish ass. And yeah. You're like, what? <laughs> but I, I, I got through it all, and I, I rather enjoyed it. I, should, I, I binged two seasons in I, less than a week. I, f- so. I forget the name. I forget which big band that the guy who, who wrote the comic book is from. Is it My Chemical Romance? I have no idea. But I do have to say there's an entire fight sequence that's done to uh, <laughs> Istanbul, not Constantinople. And is it in the first made, season, or is that in the? It's in the first, yeah. episode. first episode. Yeah. Okay. And I made Brittany watch it, and I'm just like, no, this is like you have to watch this. I'll, I'll say this: what I remember from watching it was that it is, it is unabashedly, uh, very comic booky, it, it, even visually. Mm. Like it in like the first episode ends, I think, with like them dancing to "I Think We're Alone Now." Yeah. And it's well, it's a cut. Too. But yeah, it one or two, whatever. But it's 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 a cutaway of like, like those old school cutaway of like the whole mansion, like the X mansion, so you yep. can see where all the rooms are, and it's like that, and you're just like, oh, that looks. Good. There's another scene where like they're they're going through a library and like they're they're popping in in and out on different things. It's like the the thing scans, but it's like it's like watching panel views. Yes, except there's no cells for it, and you're like, oh, Gerard Way, who <laughs> is from My Chemical Romance. Okay. Oh. Okay. okay. 
It's also from Dark Horse Comics. I it is. I I remember I wasn't sense. reading I wasn't reading them, but I remember them coming out in comic form years back. So like I was aware of the property. I just haven't read it. Gotcha. Uh, I haven't read any. I didn't. That was. It's great. Like I will say, going in watching it f- fresh without knowing the comics, the source material, I I the, liked it overall. I guess you you heard my issues with it yeah. already, but it was enjoyable. I was like not knowing there are a lot of things when you're like, oh, it's the Dark Phoenix saga played over and blah blah blah. You have kind of an idea, but you don't. <laughs> and there's yeah. still a bunch of sucker punches it's gonna throw at yeah. you. And it's still fresh and honestly better than anything Fox could have ever done with the Dark Phoenix saga. Had two tries. I don't know why it's that hard. They dropped that ball two times and it was like, look, all you had to do, like it was laid out for you already. All you like the comic was there. The cartoon was there. And look, you just have to like, I mean, apparently the most recent one, they did do aliens, but not you gotta go like you got to embrace the soap opera and embrace the 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 melodramaticness of it. Like it's got to be which season 2 of Umbrella Academy does. It gets real soap opera like because they're it's they're in the early 1960s. Oh. And it's yeah, yeah. at that point cuz <laughs> time travel. Yeah, yeah. But I will say my favorite character, anyone who's wondering, is number five. I was and say, tell, I, yeah. Favorite character is number five, but I most identify. It's going to be real weird. You say but anyone, anyone who knows me will know why. Uh, like I most identify with number one. I'm, oh, yeah. a lot of, I'm like, I feel your problems, brother. Because he... The, I was waiting he, for you to surprise like me and like actually say Klaus. I was like, uh, okay, sure, you're strung out on heroin? All the time. No, uh, because he looks like this giant, he's like seven foot hairy ape man. And I'm like, I feel you, brother. He's always wearing like a giant overcoat trying to hide like everything. Someone put a, put his head onto a gorilla body. It's spoilers, but you can kind of tell. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's why I love like the reference of that when someone, the hitmen find his boots. They're like, somebody's been eating his Wheaties. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, look, you know how hard it is to find boots that size? <laughs> uh, Damn. All right. I think we have some announcements, so we maybe we need to. Yeah. All right. Uh, anyone else want to start announcements here? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, Oktoberfest was canceled. Sad news. Uh, well, it's not canceled. It's virtual Oktoberfest. So you yeah. all will drink your beers at home together. Oktoberfest Cincinnati, which you can, if you're in Cincinnati, you can buy the pack for pickup, which comes with which does an, look worth it. Actually, an official Oktoberfest Cincinnati yard sign, uh, later hosen beer koozie. So your beer, and it also comes with later hosen for you. We don't know exactly the quality of that later hosen. Probably not great. Comes with gift cards to uh, Frisch's, so you can go get their official Oktoberfest burger. Uh, gift cards to the uh, Sam Adams Cincinnati Tap Room. Mm-hmm. It it is Coupons your for Kroger. Yeah, for Kroger, so you can go buy your sausages because we were upset there are no sausages yes. in this White Castle looking bag <laughs> that it comes in, oh. tote bag. And you get two Oktoberfest hats. Two Oktoberfest hats. Yeah. Like they're setting it up. But so uh Zinzinati Oktoberfest. 
is going virtual this year. Uh, you, you'll be able to watch because everyone's like, what does that exactly mean? Well, they're going to have their official bands uh, at different breweries and bars across the city during Oktoberfest week. I think it's like two weeks this year. Yeah, I think they stretched it out so people can partake. Ten, ten days, I thought. Yeah, so it's going to be over 10 days, and they're going to have uh, different events going on at different places scattered about town, uh, and you can watch it all live on the internet. So it's all going to be streamed, so it's virtual. But it is an Oktoberfest happening this year, and Munich is not happening in any fashion. Not virtually, not in person, nothing anywhere. Zilp, zitch, nada. Which means Oktoberfest Cincinnati this year becomes the world's largest Oktoberfest. We will drink that up. We will take that technicality. Which means rolling into next year, we get to spout off about how we are the world's largest Oktoberfest. Until after Munich actually starts and takes the title back but munich's our sister city so it's all going to be in good fun i'm sure yeah yeah uh just so happens we may be around each other near when that stuff's going on so maybe get ready for some some oktoberfest streaming (laughs) yes uh the what's the actual date we're doing that 19th 19th. yeah it'll be our next episode hey how about that yeah, so uh, we'll we'll have some stuff uh, going on that day. A uh, couple of weeks after that, I guess we've got uh, a week after else. that. A week, is it a week? Just a week after. Well, it'll. You're a week. We'll be recording it. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. Well, I figured live stream part of it, but uh, then yeah. I don't think it's gonna go live because they don't have good internet at the brewery. Oh, uh, yeah. Spoilers: We're going to be live at well, live quotes. We're gonna be recording at Broken Throne doing a uh, a brew day which we'd always yeah. talked about doing with Casey. We'd done it once, like just a homebrew day with Casey years oh, yeah. ago, where we all just got trashed. Where the audio was hot garbage. The right. audio was in, you couldn't Ugh, hear yeah. anything, and we just got absolutely wasted and talking and absolutely Bob and smacked. I were like, you know what, the, what a great idea is? Eating hot pellets. Yeah. It is and not. They no. ate hot pellets <laughs> live on that stream. There were a few of you that were there for it. It was fantastic. Uh, but we're going to do an official brew day at Broken Throne. Uh, and that will be an awesome episode. I don't think it you won't you won't be able to watch it live or anything we'll, like that. We'll see how it goes, but it's, we'll get it recorded yeah. and we'll get that up for you guys. That's going to be a lot of fun. I think we're going to be doing a barley wine. Was the last uh, Casey asked? He's like, "Oh, what would you guys want to do?" And he said, "A barley wine." Speaking of barley wines, the Oktoberfest stream. We decided it would be fun. Hey, uh, we've done uh, Meritsons and Fest beers in and out over the last five years a million times. But hey, that's the other thing to mention. The Oktoberfest is going to be our five-year anniversary. Oh, God. Five years of doing this show. And uh, Casey said, hey, guess what? I've been collecting for almost a decade. Bigfoot <laughs> barley wine from Sierra Nevada. As you do. So we're going to do like an almost decade vertical of Bigfoot barley wine oh, that God, night. I'm going to die. And we had to uh, get this cemented in stone with our good friends over at Ritual Misery, uh, who always host every year. If you uh, tune into the New Year's Eve streams that we do with them, uh, we'll raise a bunch of money for Child's Play. It's all for charity. And we're going to be participating in that kind of jump starting it. They already have as well uh, some of the raising for New Year's Eve. Uh, we're going to be raising money by you can make us chug whatever beer happens to be in front of us by donating the the dollar amount has not been set yet. But during, you'll during be able that to, stream, not this one. I'm during that stream, this. not this one. Uh, you will be able to in two weeks. 
uh, throw down an amount of money. It's not going to be a large amount. It will be enough <laughs> to make. So as soon as we see it come across, we'll, we will get the note. Everyone will see the notification live. And who one of us, it will be like, as we go to probably just down the line, be like your turn, your turn, your turn, your turn uh, has to slam whatever's in front of them at the moment. And we're doing like eight years worth of barley wines so they're all above 10 percent. so uh if you're willing to bring your wallet you can get us absolutely trashed and then we were uh talking some pre-show with uh kent and amos from ritual misery maybe we need to put some kind of uh a dollar amount on if one of us throws up <laughs> they have to donate <laughs> so much money because it all goes to child's play so that's where all the money will go maybe it'll be a giant dollar amount uh, to make someone drink the dump cup. I have a feeling nothing will make it to that dump cup. Uh, people will be throwing the money to make us just chug everything. I was thinking, since it's child's play, what do, chugs for chugs for children? Hmm. Mm, I don't know. Something about that feels wrong. <laughs> but yeah, that's all going to be on the 19th. Uh, the, that stream will be kind of late because we have to go to a wedding that evening. I was so, gonna say this is after the wedding, right? Yes, it is after the wedding. Okay, uh, I, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna say we'll shoot for 10, 10 p.m. Eastern for that one. So if you guys want to tune in for that, and we're also gonna be doing uh we were talking with Kent Namus from Ritual Misery. Uh we're gonna start a nice cross promotion thing. So we're gonna start doing a pre-show with them drinking, and they're gonna start doing a pre-show with us. So get ready for a lot of that coming in the future. Yeah, all kinds of fun sounds, stuff. Sounds a lot, a lot of fun coming. It's we can't we can't be in the same space all the time, but at least we can. Look, we had planned. That's uh, so all we had to talk to them about because they were going to come in for Oktoberfest this year and for the big anniversary. We were going to have a big anniversary party and all this stuff, but all that had to get scrapped. It did. That's fine. We, there's always next year. So join us on the 19th for our fifth anniversary slash Oktoberfest stream when all four of us are going to be in the same place. Okay. Everyone's going to be up here and it's, it's going to be a blast for us at least. It will be. <laughs> you can tune in and watch us just on the downward spiral. <laughs> you can also uh, usually tune in and catch us with some news like we did today. Uh, a little while ago, we did a news episode uh, where we talked about beers for dogs. Beers for dogs, yes. Uh, uh, possible some uh, union busting by breweries? Possible. Unconfirmed union busting. <laughs> yes. And then okay. MGP and Rye, apparently. Oh. Yeah, they got a new Rye. Uh, so, yeah, you can check out, uh, check out that on Have a Drink News. Uh, separate stream. But since we're on this one, uh, separate feed, I guess is what I meant to say. But since uh, since we're on this feed, let's talk about the topic. Fear not that drunk, seeking bastards. Fear not that drunk. Fear not that drunk. Fear not that drunk. So today we are talking about beer advertising history. Dooby dooby doo. Right. Yes. Dooby dooby doo. Uh, so since, uh, people have been trying to get other people to drink their beer since, well, the first brew day, all those centuries back, but the methods have gradually become more sophisticated than just handing someone your beer. 
oftentimes there would just be a sign saying that beer could be bought here, and that was enough to pay for what you needed. Uh, the, you know, the tavern model worked, I guess, uh, but then came Johann Gutenberg. The world has changed. Like, it's, it's rare one guy can do it, but... I mean, it's a pretty big deal. Uh... <laughs> uh, he was a secretive paranoid character whose perpetual money problems and interest in get-rich-quick schemes led to one commentator describing him as something of a grifter. They're always my favorite historical figures. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, Gutenberg left a legacy so priceless that its uh, significance has been compared by some experts to the invention of writing and the coming of the internet. And it's kind of the midpoint between those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark Twain had uh, wrote the world uh, today, the world, what the world is today, good and bad, it owes to Gutenberg. He's again, talking about Johan, not Steve. <laughs> I mean, what what the world is today, post Mark Twain, we owe to Steve Gutenberg. Hmm. Number police five Academy. is alive. I said those police academy films. Uh before Gutenberg, uh, an uh, advertising was mostly a word-of-mouth business. Afterwards, printing uh, enabled handbills, posters, flyers, pamphlets, and other publicity materials uh, to be uh, produced in large numbers. In fact, it's fair to say that Gutenberg's press provided uh, the spark for advertising to, be to flourish by paving the way for newspapers, the first form of mass media publishing. Uh, from there, breweries had to... Uh, uh, had new ways to get the word out and to get more people to buy their beer, which meant more money that could uh, they could use to grow their business so they could make more beer to sell to more people, to make more money, to sell more beer, to make more money. You know, capitalism. <laughs> uh, so laws be, uh, were about that were about what they could say were a bit looser then. Well, non-existent. Uh, so we could you could call your your beer healthy back then, and no one could call you on it. Guinness's first ad in nineteen uh, sorry seventeen ninety four had such a claim. The company was already sixty three years old when it started publishing ads. Uh, they were sixty three years old in seventeen ninety four. I want everyone to think about that the next time you're having a pint of Guinness. They've been around for a minute. They were already sixty three year old. 63 years old in 1794. They are older than the United States. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the uh, engrave, there was an engraving that was published in The Gentleman's Magazine mm. with the caption, Health, Peace, Prosperity. Uh, it's considered to be one of Guinness's earliest ads, and the trend uh, of making such health claims would continue for more than a century. <laughs> Uh, it's a good day for a Guinness sometimes. Look, it's not my favorite of their ad campaigns. We're we're all a little partial to my goodness, my Guinness. <laughs> uh, baseless health claims were bound to eventually cause problems probably before the 1900s, but that's when it hit the breaking point. Beer probably wasn't the worst offender, as this was the era where cocaine could be bought from the local pharmacy. Hey, Snake look! Heroin was a was a perfectly healthy way to get off uh, to get off opium addiction, your morphine addiction. You can get it from the Sears catalog. Mm -hmm. uh, snake oil products were rampant 
and it was becoming a large health concern. Eventually, someone was bound to try and change the state of things, and they did that in print. Uh, Poison for the Poor was how Collier's Magazine depicted the patent medicine business in a 1905 McCracking? McCracking. 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 Sorry. I'm trying to like rub something that's irritating my eye out <laughs> and keep reading that. Uh, muckraking series of articles by Samuel Hopkins Adams. Gullible America will swallow huge quantities of alcohol. Yes, it will. An appalling amount of opiates and narcotics. Still true. And a wide assortment of varied drugs ranging from powerful and dangerous heart depressants to insidious liver stimulants. I mean, that's also probably still true. Adam said in the opening to The Great American Fraud, uh, written by Adams in 1905. Cocaine and opium may stop pain, Hopkins argued, but narcotics are not safe, particularly when they are hidden under the label of cough remedies, <laughs> soothing syrups, <laughs> and Caterall powders. <laughs> and it was a Look, great... Nothing- you you you're you're bound to stop coughing when you're so high on opium that you can't even feel your face. You don't even know that like you don't know you have a problem anymore. You're not gonna cough when you don't know you have a body. <laughs> <laughs> but and it was a grave injustice. Uh, Hopkins said that people could be hoodwinked into thinking that <laughs> that extract of witch hazel could cure meningitis. <laughs> Or that concoctions based on cocaine and opium could cure cancer. That 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 is a tragedy. Yeah. That's or that uh, mildly acidic formulas could prevent yellow fever. Even that... worse were the soothing syrups made of opium given to children to keep them tranquil. That's messed up. Yeah. Uh, the the witch hazel to cure meningitis just making me think of like. Is it true that stem cells could reduce the age, could reverse the flow of aging? Yes, in the same way that a toddler could be said to fight Muhammad Ali. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, giving uh, giving opium kid to kids so they'll calm down. It's like you know what? Then again, give them a little Nyquil. That'll 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 shut them up. A little Ny- Benadryl. Ny- it was a Nyquil, Benadryl, whiskey. You know. We're not that far removed from this it's, kind of situation. Like as I'm reading, you know, as I read this, I was like, oh, "God, that's that was over a hundred years ago." It's still America, kids. A hundred years ago? What are you talking about? I was on road trips with uh, with my parents and uh, and a friend of theirs who kept mentioning, "Oh yeah, just give them some Benadryl and it'll make this whole trip a lot better." Yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> Uh, Adams also charged that American newspapers and magazines were in league with the patent medicine advertisers. A red clause in the advertising contracts allowed the patent medicine makers to void the contract in case of adverse legislation or publicity. This meant that newspaper publishers had a strong financial interest in ensuring that people did not learn about patent medicines and that no laws regulating patent medicine were passed at the state or federal levels. Yeah, it's real hard for people to tell their, you know, legislatures, hey, we need something for this, but no one's talking about it. Yeah. 
Adams was not the first to point out that unregulated pharmaceutical and advertising industries had turned millions of ailing people into drug addicts. As early as 1892, the Ladies' Home Journal banned advertising from patent medicines. And Coca-Cola, a popular drugstore tonic drink, stopped including cocaine in the formula around the turn of the century. Not as Darn far shame. back that, as you would think. Doesn't, you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't quite get you the same rush as it used to. <laughs> it brings a whole new meaning to that uh, share a Coke with campaign they did. Look uh, to give the world a Coke <laughs> and watch them pressed through the wall <laughs> <laughs> look wasn't that just the entire campaign from the british empire it was uh, opium no, that was to give opium to people they they gave depressants not stimulants <laughs> give the world some opium lots of it even if they say no <laughs> especially if they say no uh, adam's articles came at a time when uh when americans were awakened to injustice and clamoring for reform by yeah, 19... actually about the same time that uh, Upton Sinclair published uh, The Jungle, I think. Mm. By 1906, Congress passed the Pure Food and Drug Act requiring federal inspection of meat and labeling for the drug content of medicines. Okay, so yeah, probably at the exact same time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the act paved the way for the creation of the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, which monitors pharmaceutical advertising as well as food safety. Also, a fun note, the FDA is in charge of the national parks. What? Hmm. Really, really weird. Huh. <laughs> uh, now that companies had some level, it's one of those things where you're like, wait, what? It's the thing when you, like when you find out that, uh, uh, what is the department that oversees um, relations with the Native American tribes is the Department of War, or what it used to be, the Department of War, which is now the Department, Department of Defense. Defense. Mm. It's only the Department right. of War when we're in war. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I will say, though, uh, I mean, that makes sense. This is around the time of Theodore Roosevelt. He would have set up, uh, <laughs> set up like, the National Parks. Yeah, the FDA can run that. Why? Well, one day I'm going to want to eat that buffalo. <laughs> and that's, uh, so, uh, aside, kind of aside, kind of related. I watched a bunch of videos about theme parks. And, no, uh, there is no... You want to know who's also in charge? What else falls under the FDA? Inspecting roller coasters and making sure that they're up to code. And at which I point, want that job. And at which point, whenever there is a failure and it goes to the courts, the FDA goes, we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> we have no experts in this field. <laughs> we have no experts in this field. We can tell like, you, though... That meat, that meat they threw up was probably expired. I think the reasoning is because when it was deemed that they had to look into roller coasters because, oh, the, all roller coasters are made of wood. And the FDA knows a lot about wood. <laughs> because it, it all got, in Ohio when Son of Beast failed and yeah. like the roller coaster started literally falling apart while people were riding it, the mm -hmm. FDA had to come in and inspect it. And then they're like, well, the FDA approved this thing like every year for the last three years. And the FDA just threw their hands up and said, "We have no idea what <laughs> what a safe roller coaster is. Just rubber stamp things, man." Yeah. <laughs> anyway, now that companies had some level of accountability for their claims, surely no one would ever be misled by ads again. But there <sighs> were soon to be a whole new forms of media that could sell products 
with the coming of radio and television. Hmm. There's 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 probably a whole lot for radio. I could not find a lot article wise that people wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah. At least as it related to to alcohol, but TV. Yeah, I was gonna say what what are we like? Are there were there a lot of episodes of Little Orphan Annie of her <laughs> of her drinking cough syrup or something? I was gonna say the the shadow the shadow will return after yes. he's had a nice big glass of Schlitz. <laughs> the, yeah. sh- the shadow will return because right now it's time for our Miller time break. <laughs> Uh, well, beer makers have been searching for the perfect beer commercial nearly since television exploded onto the American scene in the late 1940s. In those pioneer days, nobody, not the advertisers, not the ad agencies, not the TV stations, knew exactly what made for a good commercial. And that it, that feels like like early internet, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like oh, we're going to put up these things. Like, what should we do? I have no idea. Dancing baby. It's still a thing now with like social media. It's like, well, yeah. how do we do this viral post? I you just hope. you gotta you gotta catch that lightning in that bottle. But yeah. how? There's no math to this. It's more yeah. science than art. I mean, other way around. Scratch that. Reverse it. <laughs> Bud. Why? So many frog commercials for the. Okay. Um. <laughs> so uh. I've lost my place. Okay. Uh, the earliest beer commercials consisted of everything from live demonstrations of how to cook a Welsh ra- uh, rare bit, rare bit? Uh, using beer to the noisy rumble of a studio audience muddling through a, re- a rendition of the Brewers theme song. Uh, I need to know what the Brewers theme song is. I or, mean, are probably we about the sports team, the Brewers. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not entirely certain which brewer they were talking about there. Yeah. Uh, just any given brewer, apparently, I guess, you know. Yeah. Uh, with national prohibition still fresh in memory, brewers were initially wary of peddling their beers on air. Well, yeah. Early critics of television saw the new medium as little more than an intru- intrusion into people's living rooms, and many were concerned that beer ads might offend the viewer's sensibilities. Commercials yeah. that actually showed a person consuming beer, for example, were often deemed in bad taste. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Beer get ads that, were get that uh, fainting couch ready. Just oh my, yeah, <laughs> constant vapors. Uh, <laughs> beer ads were typically aired on uh, only in the late evenings, and Sundays were entirely off limits. Surveys were periodically conducted among viewers to determine whether any quote moral backlash might be caused by selling beer on television. Uh, but early apprehension was soon overtaken by the realization that television offered beer makers something tremendously valuable and unique, the ability to target the beer drinker right at the bar stool. The American mm-hmm. Tavern, after all, was the first home of television. In Chicago, for example, taverns accounted for half of all sales of television sets in 1947. Uh, had any tavern ca- keeper initially doubted the revolutionary importance of TV to his trade, he was surely converted after the 1947 World Series. Telecasts mm. of the seven games between the Dodgers and the Yankees made for standing room only crowds in taverns throughout New York City. But Indeed, only New York City. The rest of the country went, yeah. I don't care. Let those yeah. two kill each other. So yeah. another quick aside. I got to say, I miss that. 
I never even went to like sports bars or anything, mm-hmm. but it's just watching sports movies from the eighties and nineties. Like everyone gather around going, oh, Wait, yeah. yeah, you had the cut yeah. shots from different, it would be from different bars. Yeah. Showing just like mobs of people standing room only in these bars and taverns, watching whatever it is on the small TVs up in the corners. Isn't there like a, a, a sub like, like there's a set of recurring characters in like the uh, uh, major league movie where it's like, yes. you know, that's just that them in the bar, like what? Like, ah, whatever. And then like yep. by the end of the game, like, yeah, yeah, it's just like uh, the it's the guys in the stand. One of them is um, crap. What's his name from Independence Day? Will Smith. Uh, no, not Will Smith. Bill Pullman or no, Paxton. No. no. Um, uh, ah, Randy Quaid. Yes. Okay. Randy Quaid's in Major League oh, One yeah. and Two as, uh, and he starts out as a fan, and then as they suck in the middle of the season, he becomes a heckler, and yeah. then at the end of the season, he comes back around. Mm. But it's just like these reoccurring characters. They have the same ones because uh, the janitor from uh, Scrubs is in one of the bars oh, as a reoccurring yeah. character it's all in throughout everything. in Major League Two, and he has like small speaking role, but he like. Every ten minutes, they go do a supercut to like showing the different bars and taverns, and, and he's always he's one of them commenting. Yeah, <sighs> I, I miss that. Like you don't have, yeah. I don't know. I was never. Well, I don't think you have that. like the. I don't think you ever. You have really the same. Everyone must watch the same sporting event thing really anymore, or any kind at of the event. same time. Like at the, at the, you know, think back then. Like those were. You had to go out somewhere to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, true. Anyway, uh, Dodgers, yeah. Dodgers, and Yankees World Series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you're fine. Uh, well, in the early days, as TV stations were starved for quality programs, which I mean, that's not much changed. Television <laughs> was necessarily dominated by sporting events. This, of course, added significantly to TV's allure among beer advertisers. The notion that sports sell beer is perhaps the most sacred axiom of beer marketing, <laughs> just as true 50 years ago as today. That's, yeah, that's all right. Uh, surprisingly, it was not the nation's largest beer makers who led the brewing industry's charge into television. Rather, most of TV's pioneer beer advertisers were regional brewers. In 1945, New England's... Oh. Look, Nara there are going to be a few words in here. Yeah, Nar- I- Narragansett is what I'm saying. I don't know if that's right. Uh, but they sponsored the first telecasts of Boston Red Sox games, uh, though neither the brewery nor the baseball team seemed overly confident about the then-infant medium. In fact, Sox management granted that brewery's uh, sponsorship rights free of charge, telling <laughs> brewery officials, we don't know what we're doing, and neither do you. <laughs> yeah. That's a... It's a quote of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like, look, I don't know, man. Sure. Go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, have at it. Uh, despite that early, albeit tentative, arrangement, Modern Brewery, uh, Modern Brewery Age magazine christened the Hyde Park Brewery of St. Louis the first brewery to sponsor a televised program anywhere. It was February 1947, and St. Louis was launching its inaugural television broadcast consisting of a man-on-the-street interviewer talking to local residents. Riveting Hyde stuff. Park, yeah. Hyde Park's early commercials, perhaps history's first pre-recorded beer spots, featured Albert the Stickman, an animated cartoon character with a knack for finding trouble. 
Whatever Albert's dilemma, a bottle of Hyde Park beer always brought relief. Ah, uh, I know the feeling. <laughs> well, 1950, uh, the company, uh, sorry, uh, Budweiser being the company in this case, uh, sponsored a first brewery to sponsor a ma major network TV show, The Ken Murray Show, an hour-long variety show on CBS with commercials featuring the show's star and guests often seen drinking Budweiser on camera, because you could do that. <laughs> uh, the company noted that the sales of Bud Budweiser increased twice as fast in areas that had televisions, so it renewed its uh, $65,000 a week sponsorship. That's... A lot. I mean, back then... Especially for the times. I mean, it, it is for the times, but back then, that meant it was Budweiser's The Ken Murray Show. Yeah. There weren't other people doing ads. They owned that show. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, within just a few years, uh, brewers had staked their claim on the new medium, and beer marketing would never be the same. In 1951, Blatt's Beer was the sole sponsor of what was perhaps TV's first major media event, the migration of the venerable Amos and Andy radio television uh, radio program to television. Blatt's officials traveled across the country in airplanes with a fully equipped public relations office, stirring up excitement for the new program, spending $250,000 just to hype the premiere episode. Blatt's quickly ranked among television's top advertisers. Other brewers would soon follow. Blatt's. When's the last time... You heard of Blatt's. Oh, I have no idea. It's only in some kind of retrospective or like, I don't know. I, I know it's yeah. not mentioned, but I, I think of like Wayne's World. Yeah. Uh, of course, sponsoring the highly rated programs was key, but as viewers became more sophisticated, commercials themselves required a little more polish and finesse. Uh, after all, the ad, pro uh, ad didn't sell the products. If the ad didn't sell the products, it was useless. Several genres of TV commercials amused. The testimonial, the mini-drama, the celebrity endorsement, and the demonstration. But the cornerstone of the American television, uh, American TV advertising was, and largely still is, what ex experts call the identifiable character. Your Tony the Tigers, your Jolly Green, your Jolly Green Giants, your Mr. Whipples, and countless others. What's, a mis what's Mr. Whipple? Ah... Uh... I, okay, I could. I guess I could just Google this. Well, I mean, as soon as you said it, it, it went out of my head. Um, Charmin. That's right. Don't squeeze the Charmin. Oh! In a thousand years, I wouldn't have been able to think of his name. Okay. I, I, I was picturing something white and soft, or like white and like mushy. Mm. And I was like, ah, is it? But the first thing that popped in my head is like, oh no, that's the Michelin Man. You're picturing the Michelin Man. Stop that. <laughs> not helpful yeah uh, but, but that okay. would be identifiable character Michelin man throwing his torso at cars and putting tires on them right right uh, which <laughs> they did that in a commercial some years back and that's where I realized like, oh the Michelin man is made of tires <laughs> the why is he white that, yeah it, it really messes you up and you're like wait he's not the stay puff marshmallow man so <laughs> but he looks like he could be yeah, his like he's the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man's lumpy brother who didn't go into the Navy. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, among the earliest and certainly one of the most successful uh, ID characters put to work in television was for a brewery as Mabel, a genial blonde bartender. Yes. 
uh, who rarely spoke but ended virtually every commercial with a friendly wink. Ding. Mm. Sounds very old school idea of women. <laughs> Didn't talk but winked at you. Yeah, that sounds sounds like the fifties. Uh, beginning in 1951, for nearly the next 20 years, Mabel and her tra uh, tray of uh, Carling Black Label beers glided across millions of television screens in response to that famous ca familiar call, Hey Mabel, Black Label. Uh, Mabel's graceful charm and captivating smile seemed to hit beer drinkers right between the eyes. One observer commented that Mabel could compel any man to leave home to fetch a carton of Carlings, that is. Mm. Uh, indeed, with Mabel leading the way, Carling Brewing Company skyrocketed up this uh, list of America's largest brewers from number 28, 1951 to number six in 1957. Wow. wow. That, so, I would, that's a successful campaign effective. right there. Good job. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say a good campaign that gets name out there that sticks it in your head. You're, you, you can change a lot there. Well, during much of the 1950s and 60s, advertising agencies that handled beer accounts were saddled with a unique dilemma. The average beer drinker, the guy who was unflatteringly dubbed Joe Sixpack by beer marketers, perceived... Does that mean I have abs? <laughs> or do they mean something else? They mean something else. Aww. Perceived a little difference between one domestic brand of beer and another. Well, and they're the not talking about us. In the consumer's mind, all beer was made from essentially the same ingredients, underwent the same brewing process, and came in basically the same types of packages, cost more or less the same, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is the 50s and 60s. It was. They weren't that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, uh, this is like, uh, I mean, this is an advertising dream, though, if you're a copywriter. like They're all making the same thing. Yep. You can say whatever you want to say. <laughs> for ad agencies and copywriters, this made for relatively few selling points. A beer's flavor, more often than not, was the only source of distinction. Thus, flavor became the underlying theme in one form or another of virtually all beer commercials. That said, watch the first episode of Mad Men. <laughs> it's toasted. Welcome to the Miller portion of the episode yeah there's i didn't realize how important advertising was to miller mm. i mean i i understood it was important but i didn't realize like i don't i don't think i've realized their history is quite so tied into that but yeah we'll... uh three days in january 1971 changed all that the beer distributors from around the country uh converged on boca raton florida for Miller Brewing Company's national sales meeting. This seems like a weird place for, for a, a big changing moment for for some yeah. industry. You know, eh, Boca Raton. Not exactly. I would, you know. I, I expect it to where, like, old retirees go to die. Well, now, yeah. So the focal point of the gathering was Miller's launch of a nationwide advertising campaign centered on the slogan, If You've Got the Time... We've got the beer. <laughs> a new genre of beer commercial was about to be born. It's, I, you know, I don't hate that slogan. I mean, it's better than some of the other, some of the missteps we've seen. That's for sure. Ooh, we'll get in those later. Uh, tobacco giant Philip Morris had just acquired full ownership of Miller Brewing during the previous year. The company had big plans for Miller, 
hoping to apply the same advertising strategies to the beer industry that it used to propel Marlboro cigarettes to the top position within the tobacco industry. And welcome to Flavor Country. I was going to say you're you immediately get the picture of that cowboy leaning against a fence post, taking a big draw off his cigarette, and guess what? <laughs> Television, of course, would be Miller's primary means of assault. TV spots uh, for Miller High Life bore a striking similar look and feel to Philip Morris' venerable Marlboro Man commercials. The new I haven't ads... seen these ads, but I'm just picturing a cowboy standing against a post, <laughs> slowly drinking a Miller High Life. He's just like, ah, you get, the, you could have the crisp. Yeah. Welcome to Flavor Country. <laughs> oh, God, it's a horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I had to give you a little Foley work on that one. Yeah. Uh, television, it. of course, would be Miller's primary means of assault. TV spots for Miller High Life bore a striking similar uh, look and feel to Philip Morris, Venerable Marlboro Man commercials. The new ads invariably depicted tough and rugged he-men drinking Miller beer, not because they enjoyed its delicate balance of flavors, not because they fancied the easy-to-open bottle, but because they worked hard all day and damn it now it was miller time as vinkman declared in the <laughs> mid 80s miller time it's miller time uh, the you earned it theme was a complete departure from the tired old claims of two decades worth of beer commercials number one selling budweiser jumped on the bandwagon with the tagline for all you do, oh yeah, this buds for you. I remember that's, that. That's a much worse ad than it's Miller time. They still use that today. It's yeah. Budweiser is still using it. For the first time, beer ads were not about the beer, but about the beer drinker. Joe Sixpack ate it up, and beer advertising moved uh, headlong into a new era. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, one other important development came from the Miller's sales meeting in Boca Raton. At the time, however, few, including Miller itself, realized the ultimate significance. Brewery president William Kostek told the crowd that after years of producing only one brand, High Life, Miller would begin experimenting with secondary brands. Dun, dun, dun. Barely three years later, light beer from Miller took the industry by storm, forging an entirely new beer category. Television was perhaps never more instrumental in the launch of a new brand of beer than it was for light. The beer industry would never recover. <laughs> uh, introducing a low-calorie beer, after all, was no small gamble for, for Miller. Naysayers argued that men, who naturally comprise the bulk of beer-consuming public, not only had no interest in counting calories, but would likely regard light as a, quote, sissy beer. We're men. Men. We're men. We're men in tights. Uh, yes. This was the challenge faced by uh, McCann Erickson, Miller's ad agency. The solution. They're, 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 you know, no one's ever heard of them. They're not one of the no. largest ad agencies in the world and have been for the last. <laughs> As you yeah. say, ever. And yeah. still exists today, owning the world. Yeah, uh, they the want to buy the world of Coke. <laughs> uh, they would find the toughest, manliest guys out there and put them on TV touting the merits of light beer from Miller. The slogan, everything you always wanted in a beer and less. <laughs> I mean, you got to give it to him on that one. Yeah, 
Like um, I don't, I will begrudgingly go. That's well done. <laughs> Uh, the first light commercials aired in 1973 and starred the likes of football greats Matt Snell and Ernie Stotner uh, and mystery writer Mickey Spillane. I don't know what any of these names are. Uh, over the course of the next decade, the company shot more than 80 commercials and the roster of light all-stars boasted nearly 40 celebs and sports icons. John Madden, Billy Martin, Rodney Dangerfield, Mickey Mantle, uh, Whitley? Whitey Ford. Whitey Ford. No idea. Uh, Dick Butkus, uh, Bubba Smith, and Bob Uecker? Bob Uecker. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Bob Uecker. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we're just a few of the light regulars. <laughs> What's Boog Powell? Some of these names sure. are made up. I'm sorry. <laughs> was uh, once commented, "You make one light commercial. It's like, uh, it's like then everyone forgets you played ball for 20 years." <laughs> uh, of course, it was light's never-ending debate: tastes great, less filling, that earned the ads their place in history. But it wasn't until 1976, three full years after light commercials first aired, that the gimmick had fully taken shape. Tommy Heinsohn. Heinzone, uh, the notoriously combative Boston Celtics, uh, Celtics coach and hard-nosed NBA official Mendy Rudolph, squared off on the issue in a barroom scene after Heinzen refused to agree that light was, first and foremost, less filling, Rudolph threw his thumb in the air and screamed, you're out of the bar. (laughs) Less filling was McCann Erickson's clever way of putting a macho spin on the low-calorie issue. If light was less filling, that meant you could drink more of it. Commercials invariably showed the performers sitting in front of a table loaded with empties, though the Federal Trade Commission (laughs) mandated that the actors say something like, Oh, I'm not saying I drank all these by myself. (laughs) Uh, Nevertheless, the implication was clear, and so was light's success. Between 1973 and 1978, Miller sales exploded from just under 7 million barrels to over 31 million barrels. The most dramatic period of expansion ever recorded by a beer maker. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. Wow. I mean, can't argue with with numbers there. (laughs) I mean, you can argue with anything. Well, okay. Uh, The phenomenal growth of uh, Miller and other nationally shipping brewers uh, during the 1970s came, of course, entirely at the expense of of the small regional brewer. Any hopes of protecting one's home market from the invasion of the nationals meant to doing bloody battle. Television, far more than any other medium, was uh, the theater of engagement. The regional brewers fight for their uh, very survival made for some interesting Sorry, interesting beer commercials. The National Brewers advanced on Erie, Pennsylvania, the Erie Brewing Company, makers of uh, Kohler Brewer uh, beer, uh, resorted to a tongue-in-cheek threats aimed at local beer drinkers. These somewhat morbid TV spots cautioned consumers to buy only Coors, lest they incur the wrath of long-dead brewery founder Jackson Kohler. <laughs> so, of, hmm? the, uh, this just kind of reminded me of what's going on around this area, just to stir up something regional real quick, uh, because uh, Christian Moraline has just kind of like dropped off. 
they're not even mm-hmm. advertising their name like Moreline. They're not even advertising that anymore mm-hmm. because they've resurrected. They've owned the rights and have been producing Little Kings for mm-hmm. years, but they've now doubled down everything onto Little Kings to the point that it's like on every like st- like streetlight. Uh, yeah, there's a sticker on our walk. <laughs> on the backs, like they have on advertisement the on the backsides of crosswalks in areas where get very little traffic. Like they are going like street corner to street corner with some of this advertising Just, for a brand that hasn't been around since or hasn't been popular since like the seventies. You gotta gotta get them kings. I feel like a giant. Like a giant. Uh series of commercials showed ghostly uncle Jackson sabotaging golf games, ruining backyard barbecues and generally wreaking havoc in the lives of beer drinkers until they <laughs> vowed allegiance to, uh, to Kohler beer. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Each commercial ended with a menacing tagline, menacing tagline. Uncle Jackson's watching. Okay. That's Can we find that? one of these? I, I don't know. Uh, someone needs I, to look I, ask, I ask our producer. <laughs> can can you is one of can we stall for time long enough for you to find one of these Uncle Jackson? Well, the versions. Uncle Jackson's watching was followed by a crash of thunder. So, <laughs> really selling that uh that you know dark stormy night. Yeah, there's 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 no way. All right. Uh, Anyway, the commercials for Burger Beer of Cincinnati took National Brewers head-on, knocking their slogan in million-dollar campaigns. The slagline was, don't be bamboozled by out-of-town beers. The commercials included uh, a jingle with lyrics, some beers come from Milwaukee, some come from overseas, but I'm not bamboozled because my beer is burger. My beer is from the same place as me. So that needs to come back. Wow. Uh, Someone needs, who owns the rights for the burger beer and would have... The rights for those commercials for that tagline because that needs to come back a thousand fold and i feel like that's something braxton would do they would buy the rights for that well probably uh ordal beer of philadelphia was uh hoped to counter the mega breweries by putting a neighborly face in the beer commercials featured an amiably real life brewmaster joe ordalib uh, addressing the consumers directly capped with a friendly slogan Try Joe's beer. In one spot, Joe tells his customers in the beer business, when you bump up against another brand at a bar, uh, out of a bar, it's called knocking off a spigot. The big guys can knock off my spigots, but they can't knock off my taste. <laughs> oh, that could go to a whole different land. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the end, uh, Kohler, Burger, and Ortlubs, and countless others did not win the struggle. Typically, the small brewer simply could not match the larger advertising budgets of its national rivals. Even today, television is virtually uh, every virtually every televised sporting event is dotted with beer commercials, proving that television remains a key weapon in the big brewer's arsenal. That would be so. Okay, so there's definitely gonna have to be a part two to this episode, right? Yeah, because <laughs> as far as history goes, that's where we're gonna be leaving off on this episode. But it, holy crap! <laughs> From here on, like this is when you get into Super Bowl spending and yeah. Yeah. all these ad campaigns that get out of control. We could do a whole episode on the bit like I don't know. There, there's beer. a whole episode on just how the 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 brewers 
market themselves and how they 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 want their brand to seem. Like yeah, the different yeah. the different ways of staging your brand and how can be done decade by decade and how that. Well, because I mean, changed. remember remember a few years back, is this one always got like when we started the show got under my skin of the uh, the Anheuser Busch like, oh, we're we're not sissy pretentious beer snobs. We drink oh, real yeah. beer. And now they're keep your mustache out. We're. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. And now after they've bought up all of the sissy pretentious yeah craft beer <laughs> that they can. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Now they're trying to add, make everything else look, they even making Bud Light try to look like it's in a craft beer yeah, packaging. And Ugh. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to cover as far as beer ad campaigns or mm -hmm. beer advertising. It's insane. Well, we've got, uh, I believe, some... Some ads that I hope... I'm, I'm going to try and stall for time... Because some of these were already supposed to be pulled up, and I have a gut feeling that they have not. Look, been. I'm gonna need you to stop judging me right now. Okay. But all right, we're gonna we're gonna dig into some lists here. So we're we're gonna be jumping the timeline. So we're leaving off in the 1970s. I guess we're picking up in the 1970s on these. So we're gonna talk about some of the best and some of the worst advertising campaigns that have ever existed for for beer. We. In the background, pre-show, we're sharing some stuff because in the research for this, came across some articles about just like absolutely horrible, oh, oh some absolutely horrible uh, ad campaigns in general. And oh my God, you would, in the yeah. last five years, like some of the, the tone deafness, the, you know? yeah, absolutely tone deaf advertising, mainly from makeup companies. About how like oh, no not not even just like skincare and like because they're, they're like lotion and, and Dove had a commercial. I I'm going to say this and I, do not be mad at us for this. Again, we are just relaying this information to you, and you can look up from Thrillist this article about bad advertising. Dove did an ad campaign to where it started with a black woman, uh, like reaching down and or something about not being clean. I don't remember. I don't remember the wording on it, it. Anyway, she reaches down like she's pulling off her shirt, kind of thing. But it's like she's peeling her skin up too, and becomes white, and is thus clean. Uh, and you're like, what? Yeah. And then there not was not even that old. There was the one you shared in our chat that was something uh, Nivea. Nivea. It, it was only it only aired in the Middle East, and it was what they were trying. What it was meant to do was say, like, it, I think it was for like a deodorant or or um, a lotion that was like, it didn't leave streaks. And the slogan though was "White is purity." Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it, so it, what we're, we're finding out is there's some there's some clan meetings going on in some of these ads. You stop and go. This went through multiple levels of people who like, go. Who thought this was okay? This it's like that Netflix show Cuties, where you're like, this went through multiple people, and no one flagged it as a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what's that? Uh, All right. So let's let's get the... let's get into some good ones. So we're gonna start off 1979. Since we we ended in the 70s, we're gonna start in the 70s on good ad campaigns. Is where we're gonna start this. And we have Patrick Swayze in a PBR commercial. I had no idea this existed. Feel the Swayze. 
a great uh i've got paps blue ribbon on my mind and it's yeah. patrick swayze Aww. doing a nice disco dance to it yeah it's very like saturday night fever situation okay know. uh anyway okay we'll we'll try and tear down through this if audio is not working then yeah okay next one though i don't think needs any real introduction <laughs> billy d williams for cult 45 yeah. while technically not a beer i feel like it, it's in this Yes. Billy know, D makes it genre. appear. <laughs> Billy D. And I did the article did have that video and I was like, yeah, that's great. Uh 1995. That was the 1980s. Uh 1985, you got the Budweiser Frogs. I already alluded to. We all know it because uh, wise. <laughs> that was radio TV everywhere. Uh 2000s, I think we I I I, this did not initially come to my head when we were like, oh, the ad campaign, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how, because it lasted for like a good minute now. Um, Pretty much all of the 2000s. Yeah, Dos Equis, most interesting man in the world. Stay. Could you just call it the stay thirsty, my friends? Stay thirsty. Stay thirsty. Uh, yeah, the, I don't always and, drink a beer, but when I do, I do it's Dos Equis. So what I, is this the same, the next one, uh, number five? Is this the hooray beer? No, it's not. So then I don't know this one. The red stripe. Okay, that one I, I'm gonna have to find. Ambassadors Island Wisdom. I do not. I always knew red stripe with the hooray beer. Yeah, but it was it was this well, and it, was it the same guy every time? I don't um, know. I have I, I I don't know what this commercial was supposed to be. Uh, I don't know the Island Wisdom commercial. I know the hooray beer. And when they the red stripe, the beer in the short stubby bottle, hooray beer! Look, that that's what I know. I I know red stripes not that good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah, um, it's kind of awful that's a fact, actually. actually. I haven't seen red stripe in a while. Did they go I see under? it every so often, but I don't. I usually can just overlook it pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, the the hooray myself. beer thing went on for a minute too. I didn't get dates on that specifically. But um, yeah, I'm not. What, what about so weird. what about what about the worst beer ads? Okay, so these um, we've talked about one of these before. We've talked about yeah. one of these. So Bud it, Lights yeah. up for whatever, oh, which had the uh, the, the worst the tagline the perfect beer for removing no from your vocabulary for the night. And this uh, ad campaign attempted to start right in the middle of the Me Too movement. Yeah. It uh, did not. You might be going, I never heard this one. That's because it, it started floundering upon them trying to release it and just they suffocated it and said, nope. Which, I mean, okay. they were just waiting. They were going to release soon their their spokesman for that, which was Louis C.K. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Um. So I, you get the in. So like you get the intention because it's Bud Light, and you're saying, okay, I'm gonna say like, okay, never mind. I'm not on the diet or whatever it is that like you know. Well, no, they fine. were meaning for it to be kind of like the Mountain Dew, like, oh, we're gonna go do this. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. Like you think of you gotta think of extreme. Like, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be like frat bros. Being like, oh, we're going to ride a canoe off the roof through something? Yeah, let's do it. Which frat, bro, frat, frat bros are known for their, their ability to take no. Uh, 
yeah, that's where it came in because of who they were advertising it to. And that it's like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do, what are frats known for? And you're just like pumping this, this message into, into them. Yeah. 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 So it's like, it's you're awful. just basically telling them date rape is fine. Yeah. So they quickly uh, just smothered that ad campaign. Like it just gone. Most people never even heard of it because I don't think Thankfully. there was only like one actual commercial made for it. Yeah. And it, it dropped away promptly. So the second one I'd never heard of or saw anything for it. They probably uh, got rid of that one even faster. Heineken's lighter is better in 2018. I mean, really? <laughs> well, I mean, they are in Europe. <laughs> I, but also, like, where the white people come from. <laughs> I just don't. I can't. <laughs> like, <sighs> I don't know. It, 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 but it, it, going along with the other ones that we talked about that weren't, you know, beverage related. Who's why is no one sitting back and be like, wait a minute. <laughs> we say this. So these are the two that we could find that made it out during the internet era. Most of the others that were of this caliber of social faux pas, mm. they could snuff it out completely to where there's no trace of it. Where That's they're like, true. nope, no one will ever know this existed, and blah, blah, blah. These are not two, do this in this day two of the biggest examples during the internet where it's like, no, I recorded that. Everyone will know it forever. <laughs> the internet Wait, is screenshots. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you can't erase anything from the internet. internet. <laughs> yeah, so those are those are the two worst ones that uh, are surviving now. And the next time we do this, we might be able to dig up some, maybe some old ones uh, that are yeah. very tone deaf. I mean, even like, thankfully, thankfully there weren't a ton that we could find on the worst because, like, <laughs> at least not from beer, but apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> soap, lotion, lotion yeah. and beauty products and are clothing. Yeah, extremely tone tone deaf doesn't even begin to describe some of them. Anyway, let's get into some legal stuff. Uh, in the United States, spirits advertising has self-regulatory bodies that create standards for the ethical advertising of alcohol. The special concern is where advertising is placed. Currently, the standard is that alcohol advertisements can only be placed in media where 70% of the audience is over the legal drinking age. Alcohol advertising's creative messages should not be designed to appeal to people under the age of 21. Those For cartoons example, are right out. Yep, using cartoon characters as spokespeople is discouraged. Even uh, I, I, I seem to be thinking really hard about New Belgium's uh, little animated skull guy wearing oh, an aviator's yeah. cap. Well, he's he's just on like the bottle. They don't really have like televised commercials. No, they do. Oh, they have really. They have ads of him animated. Well, huh. he's a skeleton. That makes him not aimed at kids. <laughs> he dead. In the right. same sense, they also had ads. The whole uh, emperor ad campaign. Oh, where yeah. they had an animated version of the Emperor, huh. and that uh, was that's like doubly more... about him think... and alcohol. I think we're we're leaning more towards you can't have like cartoon spokesmen like uh, okay like you're not like Tony the Tiger no Joe Camels yeah yeah gotcha 
Advertising cannot promote brands based on alcohol content or its effects. Uh, advertising must not encourage irresponsible drinking. Another issue in media placement is whether media vendors will accept alcohol advertising. The decision to accept an individual ad or a category of advertising is always at the discretion of the owner or publisher of the media. Hmm. Well, general prohibited practices for alcoholic advertisements include statements that are misleading, false or untrue. Hmm. No Saying, more, uh, no more Guinness for your health. Saying something negative or disparaging about a competitor, well, that's that's, that's a shame because I mean I'm pretty sure you I could bet that uh, I'm pretty uh, sure that's happened recently. Well, like I said that uh, mil well they do that in like press releases, not in yeah. ads. See, that's just that's just. But uh, we're pretty sure that like you know AB and uh, there's a lot of people who like to tell AB yeah. a to go you know take a long walk. Indeed. Uh, same, uh, you know that would that would work on me if Sam Adams just came out with a whole egg campaign. Just was, says uh, there was Jim hey, just like coming eat on crap. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Be like, all right. It was just like him talking about how much it sucks or whatever, and then he just takes a long swig. Need something yeah. to clean this out of my mouth. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, indecent or obscene representations, designs, or statements, misrepresenting analyses, standards, or tests, guarantees that are misleading, excluding money-back guarantees, <laughs> uh, statements falsely heralding the health benefits of alcohol, well, yeah, uh, claims that alcohol is made, sold, or marketed under federal or state regulation, words quote, bonded, or basically insinuating that alcohol is made under government supervision, claims that wine or malt beverages contain distilled spirits, statements about distilled spirits being, quote, double or triple distilled, unless they really are. <laughs> the word pure when advertising distilled spirits, unless it's referring to a specific ingredient, and finally, statements that are not consistent with approved labeling. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that leans more towards the spirit category, but that broadly alcohol is like, hey, guys. Yeah. I mean, some of it's pretty relevant, though. Here's yeah, your here's your no, no list. It's messed up, which changes uh, year to year because we just had we reported on it last year. They just changed the bourbon. Yeah. Labelings. Oh, yeah. So now you can. Because until last year, you couldn't. It wasn't legally a bourbon if it was aged in anything, like if it was finished in something else. It technically wasn't a bourbon. Oh. Now it is a bourbon finished. You have to say finished in mm -hmm. whatever cask. So Angel, yeah, Angel's Envy. Oh, go ahead. As you say, Angel's Envy does this with everything because the, pretty much all their whiskey. Is, is a bourbon finished in wine casks. Mm. And now they have to say that on the yeah. label. They did originally, like nothing has changed. It's just now they're legally, they're saying, yes, you have to say this. Mm. You have uh, to let people know it was finished in a different cask. And every, we all knew it was beforehand anyway. There's legally you have to. Right. Well, there's... 
there's a lot to talk about still we could go on but we've gone on for a while already yeah, yeah so way too long let's get into what we're drinking drink with me friend first time in a while we haven't really had a style yeah no it's it was kind of it, on the one hand liberating on the other hand i looked in there I was like i don't know what would technically fit yeah, yeah it's like, like i don't know what to do here no holds barred it was just like whoa the fridge is my domain <laughs> which for us is <yeah>. dangerous <laughs> uh well <clears throat> speaking of that so i was trying to weed through <laughs> because we have a lot of sours and uh berliners in the fridge i feel like um so i wanted something not that at all and uh and that's all i wanted uh i went with a stout because you know we are getting to uh that nice cooler season you know hopefully one day um look for some people every Brit- season is stout season that's it is every season it will have to be stout season Brittany, because the cool will never come back um <laughs> we're just gonna melt on this planet from our own doing <laughs> well yes but hopefully not while i'm still alive uh so this is one of the Black is Beautiful series of beers. This one's from Streetside Brewing. Did you already do this on the show before? I don't know. Okay, cool. Uh, so it's an imperial stout with macadamia and coconut coffee. Uh, 10% ABV. Um, I don't think it has... I couldn't find like IBUs or anything like that, but... Um, None discernible. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's delicious. It's it's really sweet, um, which I think I uh, attribute to the macadamia. Um, but how many macadamia nut stouts are you finding out there? I don't know, but I want there to be more. No, I'm just I'm just saying like that super sweetness. It's got to come from like I I don't see that coming from the coconut part of it. I feel like maybe that's the macadamia thing. I, I found know. so the coconut and macadamia nut really like blend together. Mm. Or maybe that's causing the sweetness. Like not it's not a bad thing. It's like the no, coconut's those, definitely causing sweetness. Yeah, those yeah. flavors complement each other big time. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I also um, like cookies now. Mm. Well, like the, the mac- white chocolate, chocolate macadamia. macadamia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to get those like cra- every time I went to Subway. I maybe like some chocolate. cranberries in there. Mm. Mm. Just a yeah. <laughs> just to really fire just it like, off yeah all right um but yeah it's it's uh it's a really good beer um all i this is like i think the second black is beautiful beer i've had we got a few more in the fridge yeah um but I'm, one. I'm a huge fan because I'll i mean imperial stouts like <laughs> yeah so yeah it's uh it's delicious and um yes the, more of those please thanks uh i also went the stout route that oh, was not so. intended. To, that was not intended to rhyme, uh, but I looked in the fridge and I went, "What have I had in here that I haven't drank for a while? What do I have in here that I want to get rid of before it, it goes bad?" Because the last one of these I had had gone bad. Hmm. That's CBS. <laughs> All right. I had something from Founders. I was like, you know, it was just we're going to clean you out, be fine. The last one I had had a, I don't know if it had oxidized or or what, but it. It got more into the medicinal. This one, I think I got to it in time. Mm. It's actually nice. been 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 fairly. It's been more molasses. It's been more enjoyable. Mm. Uh, you know, 
barrel aged out 11.3%. Uh, I pulled up a uh, beer advocate score and I was like, 100? Really? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I could see like maybe uh, somewhere in the 90s. I mean, but also, like, there are some people who are all about some of this. And this one's better than some of the others I've had. So, yeah. I mean, it, not... does, it does have that, that thin line, though, of the medicinal issue. <sighs> yeah. So it's it's fine. It's not my favorite from Founders. So, yeah. Yeah. I just kind of was like, yeah, we're just going to get rid of it. I'm going to drink it tonight. There you go. It's I been enjoyable. It. Especially the later ones. Again, Britney's refused to drink it since the first time they re-released it. No, no, I had I had a drink of one of the newer ones, I thought. Did you? I thought so, yeah, because it was definitely more more maple. When more, they more literally just added maple to it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because it definitely people, didn't have as much of a medicinal situation. Because when you say maple barrel aged, everyone's like, oh, it's going to be like syrup. And it's like, no. no. No, but that's what everyone expected, and they didn't get that, and the yeah. people got mad. So they said, all right, we'll re-release it with maple added. Yeah. So here's your maple flavoring added. Yeah. <laughs> hope you you can almost hear the brewers going, I hope you choke on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, you can. You can taste it in every glass. <laughs> you hold it up, I hope you choke on it. <laughs> uh chris what did you have well uh i've been down an urban artifact uh rabbit hole because there's a lot of it in the fridge mm. so so much i'm i'm assuming i've been Always. through um a bunch of fire iron variant the two variants they released this year and the double <laughs> i guess you can still call them variants when that's all they make or just different versions of the same. Like, I don't know what the base fire iron is. No one does. I do know that I always want to call it tire iron. <laughs> yeah. It kind of, kind of hits you there. So, uh, the really for this episode, like all night I've been drinking through the variants and stuff. I've been drinking the double fire iron during this episode, which is a double version of the Midwest fruit tart. It's a, a doubling of the fruits used. <laughs> so, and it really, it's, it's basically a fruit smoothie. They've all been quite thick looking. <laughs> With multiple Viscous. seeds. Yes. yes. Uh, so this one in particular came in at 10% ABV, 3.3 pH, because when you're dealing with a Sours Only brewery, yeah. they feel the need to tell you the pH, because that is very <sighs> important to them. I get, I get heartburn when you say that. <laughs> but can't go look at Beer Advocate for scores on most of their stuff, but you can check out Untapped, where the Double Fire Iron has a 4.5, at least from my friends. From everyone else, it's a 4.43. So Huge discrepancy they, there. Yeah. <laughs> they are distributing down down to me now. I, I discovered recently, so I'm... Oh. Uh, the doubles and variants, though, you still have to get from the brewery. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, but yes, but uh, just being able to get their regular stuff, which I I don't get much of. Like I used to only get it when you guys were nearby. So yeah, their gosas and uh, some of their year-round fruit tarts are making Gaslight? it out. Gaslight was good. That was, that was a great. soured IPA. Yeah, it was good. Sorry, I'm just thinking of Gotham by Gaslight right now. That was uh, my first thought too, and that's just because you know steampunk. Right, mine was just. <laughs> Batman, because but comics. 
I've enjoyed my uh, pink guava and banana train for the evening. Yeah. Because also I had the, well, there was a trail mix uh, variant and a Mai Tai variant. Oh, yeah. My Mai Tai variant was flat. And that, uh, like the can, I could tell, like you could kind of, it would just crumple up. And you're like, there's no pressure in this can. I, I mean, I wish that would have been that, that, that carbonation would have stayed because I mean, that would have been, I feel like when that would have been really good. When they're that thick, it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> Again, it's just a smoothies aren't carbonated. What if it was though? I guess it would have added something. I don't know. It had a slightly different mouthfeel. That was really the only thing different. Okay. Mm. Well, I think it's time to wrap this up. We've gone on for a while now. Uh, so don't forget, you, sub- you can subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. You can follow us at Have a Drink Show on social media and twitch.tv. Uh, like us on Facebook. We're you know broadcasting live there now, too. Mm-hmm. Tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. You can use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. You can also use the feedback page on the website. Uh, or, you know, uh, I think if uh, if Persians are coming, you can send a runner. They've got a <laughs> they gotta get here in time. They may die when they arrive, but we'll, we'll still get their me- we'll still get their message. <laughs> yes, all joking fun aside, I'd like to remind everyone to please drink responsibly. Mm. All right. Well, you can check us out uh, in another couple of weeks for the next live episode, uh, which will be our Oktoberfest episode and so, our fifth anniversary. Yes. Oh yes. God! Come prepared. Go get some uh, Sierra Nevadas. Bigfoot barley wine. If you want to join us for an almost decades <laughs> worth of vertical, God, God help us all. Um, <laughs> so uh, once again, I'm Brittany Walker. I'm Justin Fraser, and I'm Christopher Walker. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> <laughs>